0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 36, My Game Will Cost What? Recorded at Metatopia 2013. Presented by Kurt Covert and Steven Bonacore.
1: Okay, this is the panel on... What does it cost? Which
0: we sort of went over a little bit last time, too. I think a little bit. I think so a little different, yeah. No. Yeah,
1: but we'll uh, go a little different. And, uh, okay, we'll start with introductions, I guess. All right. I'm Stephen Bonacore, president of Stronghold Games. Quite a few of you know me already, and we've uh, been to uh, panels together game together. Some people have been to my house already, so...
0: Nice, sexy. <laughs> uh, Kurt Covert, Smirk and Dagger Games. And so we're here to talk about uh, what your game cost. So... Um, how many people um, right now have a game that they are looking to produce themselves? Everybody. Pretty much everybody. Good. Good. Okay. Um, for those who did not raise your hands, um, what is driving your interest in, uh, in hearing about costs of games? Any? They just want to know what the value is because they're paying
1: too much for games, yeah. right? <laughs>
0: One day I will have a game on. Ah, oh, okay. okay, all right, all right, so yeah, so it's just okay. kind of... Yeah. I'm a motion media designer, so...
1: Oh, okay, very good. Sure. I currently produce only online resources PDFs. Yep. I was wondering
0: how physical, price out physical versions of things. Gotcha, okay. Um, so this morning we ran, um, you know, something that was like boards and bits and, you know, what kind of decisions, you know, do you make regarding the components that really affect the, the, the price of your, your game. And uh, so um, that's part of the equation. Um, but um, I think the intent of uh, the, the panel that I understood from, from Abby was there are a lot of other things that you end up paying for above and beyond the production of your game. Um, that when you yep. think about producing your own game, um, it's, it's not really just the cost of the game itself, it's the world that you've now created, the business you've now created, and what it takes to support it. And therefore, um, that all gets figured into, well, eventually, how much do you have to make on each game to even just like try to float yourself? So, um, but was anyone, were people not in this morning's thing about components? So a lot of people um, will actually want to hear good. about that too. Awesome. Okay. So, um, you can break down
1: the, the cost. costs. I exercise. I was trying to make notes on breaking down the costs and the different pieces that uh, um, that will go into what it's going to cost to produce physical games. Yep. Um, and uh, one of the first things uh, that you have to pay for is the artist. We just heard from a graphic designer is that what you said you were a graphic, graphic designer and il- illustrator as well, or uh, a little bit. okay. Um, that's one of the earliest costs I think in a game because uh, you've got to put it all on paper uh, before you can send it off to anybody um, cost of that is very variable depends on the person you're going to what their experience is how much artwork is involved in a game any card based game right, that has individual pieces of art on every card is going to be a very expensive art project how much do you normally pay for each
0: illustration? It varies widely. Yeah, it really does. Um, I have worked with some artists who were happy with getting a credit. I have worked with some artists who, um, you know, were looking for like maybe hundred dollars per image. For the the pirate game I recently produced, um, uh, I, I actually I've spent about five thousand dollars on. Uh, Nine pieces of art, <laughs> but you know that's what, a lot. It is a lot, but and here's what I'll say about uh, about art. There's two reasons why spending money on art is um, is not necessarily a bad thing. One, it is your first line of marketing, and the art that I produced for that pirate game stopped people in their tracks when they got to my booth, and I have never sold a game off of a 10 second description of the box quicker than I did with this game, with the art that I had. Um, the other thing, it's not just the illustrations, it's graphic artists. Um, a really important thing as you get uh, into production, a good graphic artist is going to save you a hell of a lot of headaches, because um, when you get to press, if you if you if you're unfamiliar with graphic art, don't know how to set for press correctly, you can run into very expensive mistakes. Um, a graphic artist is one going to help you if if you've never quoted a project with a printer before. They're going to be able to help you get the right specs out there. They're going to set the files up right so you're not doing it again and wasting time. Time is money here, so um, so there's a, there is a lot of reason to to invest in art and, and do it well. But the same same uh, I, with Cutthroat Caverns, I wanted lots of really amazing art, but I couldn't afford to pay for all that art. And so I appealed to lots of artists um, to help me out. And it's it ended up being a you know there, there's not like one unified vision of that game. You know every every piece of art looks completely different. It's a different artist on almost everything. But I was able to get the game I wanted but my art budget was really, really right? low. Let's face it,
1: look at uh, a lot of uh, card games, collectible card games specifically, yeah. art looks different, right? Because they, they utilize so many different arts. Not one artist can do Magic the Gathering, right? I mean, you spend take years it to do yeah. it, right? Um, so most collectible card games, obviously, gonna, the, the artworks gonna vary, and that's okay. Um, I tend to look for, you know, when I'm doing multiple pieces of art, for you, know, I tend to look for artists with similar styles, but uh, it's very possible that you'll get you'll get some differences. Here's a, here's a little trick. I think you know about this, what I did with Core Worlds. you remember what I did? Um, Core Worlds uh, is my deck-building card game, and there are a lot of pieces of unique art in that game, and I realized it was going to cost me a lot of money to do this. So, I forgot who, who the genius was that decided... That, 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 between myself and uh, Andrew Parks, the designer of the game, uh, we started looking online for artists who were just young and aggressive and wanted to get... There art out there a the credit on the game, in the rules, on the, on the card itself. And we got to use what's called a one use license on a lot of cards on a lot of pieces of art. And of course the, if you think about it, right, the art on a card is about this big. So really, you know it, it doesn't have to be as detailed as something like that's going to go on the, on, the, on the cover of a box, right? If it's, if it's this big, there's going to be a lot less detail. So I got a lot of R for free in that game, and that was big savings in my art budget. Big thing. Um, third one is an, interesting, is an interesting one. This comes later. We'll talk about the production costs of the game in a second. Um, something that you have to know is that you're going to be producing these games most likely in China or in Germany, maybe in the U.S., Maybe. Often in those other two countries, but even if it's in the U.S., if you're doing any real number of games, you can't put them in a in the back of your car and drive them, you know, from one place to another place. It's going to be a container of these games that are going to be coming from another country, so it's a significant cost to ship them uh, in freight, and it's called um, uh, FCL, full container load. There's not that many; it's LCL, less than a container load, but it's a lot of money, several thousand dollars, depending on the size of the container and where it's coming from. From to China, two to three thousand for yeah. a twenty-footer. Yeah, from from Europe, do you, do you pay that little when it's coming from China? I pay a lot more than that. Do you make such a good rate. I I, yeah, it's about yeah, two to three thousand for a small. Yeah, for ha- for the twenties. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting about three thousand on the, maybe maybe three to four, almost on a twenty, and uh, depending on what time of year. Time of year is also very important on uh, on freight and freight containers. Uh, I paid a bunch of $6,000 on a 40-foot FCL coming out of China during the height, height of the season. So it really gets, it really gets pricey. So that's got to be budgeted. And that is another one of the costs that have to be done before you see any money. In fact, a very good thing to note is that, you know, with Kickstarter, this, this, this thing changes. But neither of us do Kickstarter projects. You've got to front the money for almost everything in your game before you see Dime One. That's a very important thing. I mean, the Kickstarter, obviously, you get the money that way, of course, right? But so far, we've talked about paying an artist. We haven't even talked about the production costs, which, of course, you're going to pay, you know. And then you got to ship the games here. So all that stuff, before you've st- sold something, it's got to come out of something, and you better have that, that money someplace, whether it's Kickstarter or you fund- your company's funding it mm-hmm. yourself.
0: And the other part of shipping, too, is... Um if you plan to be fulfilling a lot of those games yourself uh, as opposed to you know, just having a uh, you know, a distribution partner like move most of them um, especially coming out of Kickstarter, all of those individual sales um, have shipping costs uh, so that also ends up getting figured in, you know if you've got, I'm not an expert on, on Kickstarter and planning for it but you know there have been certain people who have not planned wisely enough for like how expensive that can be, uh, especially if you start adding all those things that are adding weight to your box, um, and it doesn't fit in the you know the U.S. mail. Doesn't matter how heavy it is. It people have really lost.
1: Four pounds is a magic weight number, but of course, remember that counts the box in, that it's going in, right? The the. Con- the uh, physical shipping box that you're sending out, not just the the, 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 the game weight, four pounds. Once you hit over four pounds postal rates go up. Keep that in mind. Um, I think we should touch on that, on that one, and then we'll go into the bigger... That's the the big one. Sure. Uh, If you're not your own designer, if you're not the designer and the publisher, you gotta pay royalties, right? Because you're gonna get the game from somebody. And you're gonna pay them. So maybe you guys are designers and you want to publish your game, so this wouldn't really apply. But if if the model if your model continues, this is what I need to do. Less with Kurt, he's also a designer. You've designed almost all your games. Almost right? almost all of them. Um, you must pay royalties, right? Right? Because designers gotta get their cut too. It happens to be the only uh, only cost of your game that actually gets paid after you start making money. Yay. So <laughs> so finally so finally, you know, I've put out Fifty thousand dollars for the game, and five thousand dollars to get it here, and uh, and pay the artist several thousand dollars, and finally I've gotten money into the game, and then some of that money has got to go out again to the to the designer. And uh, royalty rates uh, vary; it depends on how noted you negotiate with the designer. How noted the designer is? Top tier designers get more, of course, because they've got big names; their name on the box sells games alone, um, and new designers get less. So. 5% is a general average, and that is on the gross revenue usually. you take it. If I take in a dollar, I pay that amount, 5%, 6%, depends on the designer, back to them on a semi-annual basis usually. Again, all that's negotiated when you do it. Sometimes the rate scales up, you know, first 5,000 units, it's this, and then you sell more, and then you get more, et cetera,
0: et cetera. So you have to factor that in as well. So... Most of what we've just talked about, except the actual physical production of the game, uh, are all things that need to be considered as they relate to setting your unit cost. So it's not just printing the game. When you figure out your unit cost, um, it is the artwork, it's the shipping from your printer, it's any licensing, and it's the actual cost of physically producing the game those four things get you the, the, the total cost of the game divided by the number of games that you've printed. That is your actual unit cost to you. Um, and why do games cost so much? Well, because after you figure that out, you then have to make sure you're going to be able to make money. Uh, and uh, everyone gets their their cut. Um, so Obviously, if, if you're selling right to a retailer, you're going to sell, uh, you know, whatever the unit, whatever the manufacturer's, you know, the, the price that you set for the game, you're going to sell to them for half. If you go through a distributor first, it's 60% off. Um, if you have, uh, like, I, I have someone who actually consolidates my games with all the distributors, and before they, uh, before I see any money they take another, say, 18% off or so. so PSI? Or all, all the... All mm-hmm. the um, and uh, so, so 60 and then I get that 40%, but before I get that 40%, 18% of the 40 comes off and that's what I've got left. Now, that has to... I, I like to make sure that that number is about double what I spent on the game. I like to... I like to make about, you know, twice what I invested in it. That's about right. Yeah. Sure. Um, now, sometimes it's a little bit lower, sometimes a little bit higher. It depends, you know, but, uh, you know, and, and the re- reason it varies slightly is because um, you're also going to set your your price based on, like, $5 tiers, um, which for a long time I didn't do. I'd have ridiculous prices like, you know, twenty seven ninety nine. Yeah. but the point... It, it's ridiculous to necessarily do that because it doesn't change someone, uh, you know, the doesn't customer change their value like a, in their head. Yeah, they're like, you know, well, a fifteen-dollar game, a twenty-dollar game, a twenty-five-dollar game, but between the five-dollar increments, makes no difference in their decision to purchase. So you might as well move it up to the next, next yeah, five. You, humans are very
1: linear. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, you know, we have five. <laughs> and then we have 10. So that's the kind of way we think. So you're going to price it in that. And and a lot of people I do use 99 instead of that actual number. 34.99. Yeah. Yes. That was what I was going to yes. ask. Yes. Not everybody does 90, that. The magic 99 number yeah. because I know in retail like making
0: it $1.99 instead of 2 Correct. for some reason yes. is better. And
1: uh, and that is another psychology and uh, and it certainly doesn't hurt the amount of money you take in because it's such a ridiculous amount. That that 5 cents 40% of that plastic, right? Because that right. just got cut down to, you know... So it doesn't really matter. So the answer is, uh, most people will do that, and it's generally a good idea. Go to Walmart, they use really weird numbers, don't they? Like, yeah, like 67 yeah. or crazy. Well, I, don't, I don't know how they figure those out. Don't ask me.
0: Now, that all said, and we still haven't talked about the specifics of, you know, the actual game, production and, and, and that, but now that we've talked about how much you're actually getting in for each unit. You know, hoping that if you spent five dollars on the game, you're going to get ten by the end of the the thing. Um, That five dollars of profit is now going to be reinvest capital into your next game. It's going to have to pay for marketing. It's going to have to pay for trade shows, for hotels, for vans, for food, for uh, Advertising if you do it. Um, you haven't mentioned salary yet, even. Like salary. Taking, taking money
1: out of the company.
0: Yeah. <laughs> take money out. How of, much money I, do you take out of your company? Um, none.
1: How much money do I take out of my company? None.
0: Yeah, none.
1: How much time do you spend a week on, on your company? All of it. <laughs> but you um, have another job. I have yeah,
0: I I've, I've got uh, I've got my day job, and I do this... Lunchtime, in between projects late when the night. boss isn't looking exactly you know you find little time you know but I move the nut forward every single day I'm you know either doing customer service online, I'm answering emails, I'm planning my next game I'm doing all kinds of stuff. It's exactly my answer exactly what he said and and you look at us and you'll say, wow these guys are successful.
1: the margins are thin and the amount to make in this industry is low. So if you're looking to make money, we said this in the other panel, if you're looking to make this your living, caveat emptor, you know, you be very, very considerate of the fact that it's gonna be extremely, extremely difficult. Now, if you can keep your costs low, maybe your significant other, parents, you know, maybe you live at home, whatever your situation is, and your cost of living is very low, you might be able to, over time, eke out a salary and stuff, but do not think you're gonna be getting rich in this industry as the president of a major hobby game company. It's just not gonna happen unless you really, really hit something big. If you take a look at the people who are, who have really hit big things, they've done it over a a long period of time, and because they've got um, really what's called evergreen games, games that sell, just constantly over time and in tremendous quantities. Fantasy Flight Games, Mayfair Games, Days of Wonder. And after that, I'm, I'm starting Steve to run Jackson. out of... Steve uh, Jackson. Steve Jackson. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm starting to run out of companies to add onto my onto my 10 fingers here, right? Because it's just not that many that really are now multi-million dollar companies who have many employees involved and stuff like that. Keep um, it in mind, boys. girls. hate to be negative, but yeah. keep that all in mind. It's... You know, we, you know, we have to be honest with each other, right? We don't want to say, eh, it's, it is. Hey, we're, we're in the industry of having fun, right? We want, we're, gonna, we're trying to give everybody a fun experience. What kind of great thing is that, right? But, but be aware that, you know, we're trying to create fun, and we're, hopefully we're having some fun. But I there's love a doing serious, that. serious business behind this, and the economics are not... You're not going to become... You can't become, you know, the next Fantasy Flight Games overnight. Yeah.
0: Now... So for you know, after after ten years of, of doing this, you know, my company supports itself. Um, I can, you know, I don't have to kickstart a game. I can just go and print it with the with the profit that I've made from last things. Um, I um, you know, I, I keep it running. You know, have I taken any money out of it? You know what? Probably just a little bit. Sure. Um, but um, but then I've also licensed products out. To big mass market companies like Crayola. Um, so that's where you know more of that is. And and quite honestly, if you want to invent and and sell to someone who can move a hundred thousand units in the mass market, that's where money is. That's where money is. So this this in the hobby industry, it's more for love. And why do games cost so much? Because there's so much to pay for. And it's not just what's in the box. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, marketing. Uh, You know, people think, you know, when we go out to Gen Con, other conventions, that, you know, that's your chance to make money. That's your chance to invest more money in your products. Um, You are going to be making money, but that money is actually paying, again, for hotel, for the cost of transportation out there, for meals, for, you know, badges, um, the... The booth itself is thousands of dollars. Um, Gen yeah. Con's a very expensive event. Yeah. But you can't not go there because that's where you're actually going to get momentum. This is a word-of-mouth industry, and, you know, when you connect with people, especially on that mass scale, that's how people start talking about it. That's how, you know, the, the game starts catching people's ears and it starts moving
1: off shelves. Gen Con is so expensive that it cost me less to go to Germany and have a booth there. Think, think about that, Essen, right? Wow. Yeah. Just got back. That's why I'm so tired. Yeah. This is painful to me to be here. Oh my God, so tired. <laughs> but uh, it, it cost me less. I could easily do uh, Essen for less than I do. Uh, I do Gen Con. Really? That's how? Yeah. Isn't it crazy? That. Yeah. I haven't it's been. It's a thousand dollar? What's that? Loser, yeah. in, in Essen? No, no, no. Well, I mean, yes. But I would have to I had a ten by twenty. That's it. I mean, that's a relatively so it's It's almost as small as you can get. It's 10 by 10 10x20 10 by is next. You have a bigger booth than that, right? What'd you have?
0: Uh, I don't 20 know, by 20 No, no, no.
1: in, in Gencom.
0: Oh, Gencom, uh, this year I, I went 1030, and next year I'm going 1040.
1: Yeah, next year I'm going 1030. I'm a little behind. Yeah. We just moved, uh, I just booked
0: for a 1020 for next year. Yeah. Up You're right. yeah. And and so long as you can staff it and run the demos and keep people moving through it, um, m- more space, more demos is more sales. Sure. But, Again, it's a marketing invest. It's not like you're going to make incrementally more money. It's, you know, but you're reaching more people. In, uh, at uh, Essen,
1: I had uh, I a, mean, I got to convert from uh, from meters, eight by eight meters, 64 square meters. That's about 30 by 30. Okay. So that's significantly bigger than everything else. Yeah. I had dedicated meeting area, storage area, eight tables, sales area. Looked great. Sales are great there. Yeah. And it that booth... Is not more expensive than about 10 by 30. I'm going to have next year. I don't think at uh, Essen. Essen, oh, yeah. also yes, known yeah. as the Spiel. Now I don't recommend that all of a sudden everyone goes and books their booth oh, next year sorry. in Essen because you better have product. People better know you um, because people people want to see stronghold games there because in Europe it's a little harder to get my games. I have distribution into Europe, but it's harder to get them. So I bring back I bring my old catalog even and that sells. Of course, all the new stuff basically hits either at Gen Con or at Essen? I what?
0: discovered my own following in Germany. <laughs> you just saw you had a following? Apparently.
1: What company are you with? Uh,
0: I'm with Eschaton Media, um, but I also run Dystopia Rising, which is a... R- um, RPG? A, uh, live, uh, live action. Yeah. Okay. I have, a, I have, a, I have a, uh, nine branches uh, now. I just opened from them throughout the state. Okay. So mm-hmm. You know, folks
1: can go with
0: it. Quick question on the Essen. I work for a German company, and you know, when I work, for, work with them, English is all I need to work with
1: them, and I've gone there most of the time in the area, English is all I need. I'm not sure if it's like that in the, in the gaming industry as well, if you went to Essen. Do you need to have to know a little German to get around, or is English is all you really need to know there? This is what you have to know speak. Ein Bier. Zwei Bier.
0: And that's all the German I
1: know. I They do this as one, two, three, they count like that. They don't go one, two, three, three It's I know the cultural thing. I'm seeing Glorious bastards. They caught the guy because he did this instead of doing this anyway. <laughs> <A little late. laughs> uh, but no, no, English is the international language of gaming. Uh, you do not have to know any German, and everybody's going to come to booth. Almost everybody is going to be able to speak English. Not a problem. Getting around is not a problem. I'm
0: going to get you out there Kurt. I, I'd love to go my problem is I'm limited by vacation time yes mm-hmm. um, same here I happen to get a lot of vacation yeah. enough Essen? that I can do this
1: is Essen at the same place every year? same exact yeah. is Essen is, is a city by the way Essen's the name of the city oh, okay. it, it's actually called International Spieltag. Game Days where is that uh, you fly into Dusseldorf, Dusseldorf. If you know where that is yes. which I still don't know where it is I just fly there and I just take a cab to it <laughs> it's where the plane lands plane lands go. I go. I'm there. Amazing. I'm there. It's a very small country. I mean, we'll go into geography of Europe, but it's amazing. People come. People drive there, from everywhere. You know, they drive from France, from Belgium, from Netherlands. You're like, well, you
0: come from, larger than the East Coast. It's Antarctica. much,
1: much smaller than yeah. like you know Maine or much. It's yeah. very small.
0: What I can tell you too about uh, just financials for for your company. Uh, someone pulled me aside uh, when I was basically starting and you know thinking about moving forward with my company and they said, listen, here's what you need to understand about what kind of money you're going to be seeing and when. Because yeah. no matter how big you are, it tends to fall in this way. Your first three years, you will be doing nothing but investing, 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 and you will not see any money. By the time you hit your fifth year, you're just about to the break even point. So if you're, bre- if you're breaking even at, at, at the five five years, you're doing pretty good. At seven, you should be making a modest, pr- uh, a modest profit. And by year 10, you will ha- have become an overnight success. <laughs> an overnight success. An overnight yes, success. Yes, of course. It's a very long night. It is a long <laughs> night. Um, and I actually found that to be true as well. Now, that was before Kickstarter, and that may have impacted things. But mm. when I first... Pay for my first game. It was a second mortgage on my house. It was all uh, debt. Uh, so the first years were getting out of debt as I was continuing to invest into it. So
1: I'm uh, getting close to paying back my family <laughs> <laughs> um, on all the money I borrowed from them. Yeah. So no, yeah, seriously, it's 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 all about you know finding the money for cash flow is king. Get, getting the money in and out in the right way. So yeah. And yeah. I'm now, by the way. I'm, Excuse me. Uh, I'm uh, I started in late 2009, so basically 2010, 11, 12, 13. So I'm going to be entering my fifth year soon, and and it's uh it's going pretty well. I mean I got now now have games that are, are beginning to become evergreen and lines that people are actually you know recognizing survive now is selling tremendously and over time that's huge to have that because that that revenue stream funds other things. My Space Cadets line it, it now has a name and dice Stool is it's going to sell almost 3,000 copies in the first month. It's going to probably sell out in two months, and i got to get back to printing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So
0: is your we should to- I'm sorry. To accumulate a number of those evergreen games so that...
1: Everybody wants yes. that.
0: Eventually, you I can retire on the island, red right? Red oh, yes.
1: <laughs> in the sun and not have to do this. Um, so that's the reason why you do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, this, again, this is another thing about this industry that's very interesting. We're, we are in a cult of the new, yes. right? It's, that's a tremendously bad thing for us because you always have to come up with the next big great thing guys like this over there he's all constant. what's your next thing you're doing steve what's your next game what always want something new they don't they basically they'll, they'll play some of the older stuff it's on their shelf they'll pull it out it's great but you know what's that next thing stronghold what are you doing what are you doing kurt uh so it's very people are looking for that so if you can find those things that that not only um people want to pull out and then their friends want to go buy as well i mean that's that's big you know they Keep getting those extra sales on top of that older game. A lot of games come out, they sell, and then they just sit there basically with no more sales, and they'll just trickle out. You end know, up using them as like giveaways and stuff like that because you just you, gotta, you can't turn over the inventory.
0: So I happen to have a little inside knowledge about how you guys work, and I know you guys. Have you do. Two, yeah, you guys have two different models, kind of because Kurt designs his own games for the most part, and you take on a lot of games. I was surprised by how many games you take in a year or put out a year. Um, Can you speak to the differences? Sure. Yeah, he's smart. (laughs) (laughs) I think
1: he's smart. (laughs) The grass is always greener. Um, Start with you. You're the the, uh, senior guy here. (laughs) Not in age. (laughs) I'm older than you, but you've been in the industry Um,
0: longer. Yeah. um, The hardest thing... To do is to launch a brand new game company with an unknown game. Um, you have you have absolutely no clout, you have no one who knows you, you never heard the title. It's in almost impossible to do. This is the route that I've taken and many of you will probably take. Um, there are two other ways to go at it. One Which you took on, and uh, and yet, and uh, there there are others who who gone another way. You know, the other other thing you can do is you can, uh, you can actually pay for license products. You know, a a Pokemon, a Firefly, a whatever will be a deep investment when you when you when you start because you know it costs big money for those licenses, but. It almost guarantees sales because people already are fans of that thing. Look at the companies who
1: picked up those kind of licenses, though. They already have deep, fairly deep pockets. Fantasy Flight, and Mayfair,
0: and Star Trek a and Oh, but even you know uh, DreamPod and uh, I don't know, they don't know which one do they get? Firefly. Oh, that's Firefly. Yeah, My um, did. Force. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Air Force, Air Force. Yeah. yeah,
1: they're they're fairly small company. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Big pickup for them.
0: They they, they are actually owned by the guys at
1: Battlefront now. Okay. Yeah. And Plat Hat picked up, which is great, Colby picked up uh, Bioshock, that license. Actually, they approached him, which is great. They were fans of
0: think, his games. Yeah. And they
1: approached him. <laughs> Somebody should do that to me. Why don't they find like, me? Yeah.
0: <laughs> but then... But it's, oh, I'm sorry. So <laughs> then, then, then there's, there's your route.
1: My my, my model um, started... Uh, and you, you said something very interesting, right? It's like, a recipe for disaster is an unknown game by an unknown designer from an unknown company, right? You get, it's... Unknown, unknown, unknown. So what I, what I decided to do when we, when we first started the company was find great games that were out of print, right? Great games that people wanted to see back in print by known designers. But my name was down here, right? So this, this, and then who's these guys' stronghold games? But, oh, I really want that game. I really want Survival, I want Code 777. It's been out of print for a while. I want to get want to get those games. I'll take a chance on these guys, so what you're doing then is you're raising your brand up to that level, like, wow, okay, and, and then they'll see, what you, hopefully they see what you're doing, and they like what you're doing, so you now become, you know, up there. Wow, they can do these great games by these great designers. <coughs> they're a great company, too. That was the original. But that well tends to run dry after a while. There's only so many reprints that should be brought back. Older designs very often are older for a reason, and, you know, they're, they're not as modern mechanically. So that when that, as that runs dry, what do you do? Then you find new games by new designers, right? I did that with like Core Worlds, was one of my first games that I brought back out with Andrew Parks, who's a known designer. Uh, Deck building was big, put a deck building game into my stable. Uh, And then the next thing that I did, and something that that Kurt has not done, I don't think at all, gone overseas to find partnerships with um, great European companies. Soon to be some Asian companies, possibly too, that I'm going to do some deals with, bring their games over here for for publication. So that's called co publishing. You you publish and you get North American English rights and you put it out here, which is obviously a market that's easy for me to be in, harder for them. To me to get games to Europe, it's harder for me, it's easier for some of them. So I license in the other direction as well. Those are, yes, they're very different. Which is better? Which is better? He thinks uh, I'm better. I think he's better, so yeah. I don't know.
0: Well, and you know, where um, when when I when I made the decision that I, I you know I got into because I, I really just wanted to publish my my own stuff. I had great ideas. I wanted to get them out there and share them. So um, I really didn't make a great business decision. I think a far you ramped up to be the size you are far easier and far quicker than than I did going my route. Um, but to to, to stand out, going my route, um, I planted a flag to stand for something. Um, rather, you know, it wasn't happy, fun time games, that we do everything. It was all right. If you like stab your buddy games, come here. This is he's I got do. the
1: greatest name in like the world for that. <laughs> Kurt Covert. Come on, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Smirk and Dagger Games. It's like it's like what came first, your name, the name of the company. It's like that was, yeah, like, that was pretty. That was yeah. pretty amazing.
0: Um, but we, I you, have a,
1: you, have a, you have a significant brand and people know exactly what you want, so you're a fan of, people are going to be a fan of your kind of game, or they're not going to be a fan Correct. of your kind of game. But whatever the case may be, if you want to sick, stab your buddies in the back kind of game, this is a company to go look for. I have a couple of those too, but this is, a, this is the yeah. company for F with your friends, right? That's, that's what he does. Yeah. You're not a good
0: friend, I bet. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've gotten like way far afield on like yeah, how you know, much does your game cost? So um the uh we talk about the production, production of the physical yeah, yeah. games, yeah. right? All right, well how do we want to approach this
1: one? We talked a little bit about this in the in the other panel, but most people weren't here, which was good. Yeah.
0: So um I think you had a good structure last time. You know, the, the starting with the cheapest things there are to produce, all the way up to you know the most expensive,
1: the most expensive stuff that you put into a do. box. Yeah. And maybe even boxes we can even talk about, but yeah. let's talk I guess with stuff in the bottom. What, what's easiest to put in there? What's the cheapest thing to put in there? You're writing on it, right? Physical paper. paper. Uh, it's not truly that, but right, it's going to be something like that. It's going to be a uh, you know a 25-pound glossy paper for rules and things like that. That's the, the base part of what any game is. and every game almost is going to have that, at least
0: for their rules and, e- and even there. There, you know, there are ways to save money. So the cheapest type type of rule set is black and white print on an uncoated stock. Um, it's, you know, it's it's the rough, you know, Xerox kind of paper. Um, but, you know, people now, you know, it's color rule books and glossy paper, and all of that is incrementally more money. Um, and you can even use like a linen stock to give it a little extra, you know, feel on, on the, the rules as well. Um, all that increases the perceived value of your product, but it's also inching up what you've spent on, you know, the, the game per unit. Um, and then right after, right after paper is uh, is the cardboard, right? Card stock. No, card what stock. I, what I like yeah. to call card stock. Um, think um,
1: player mats, right? They're on a like a I call it car stock like a hundred pound paper. These are industry terms. I mean, but you, you see that if you go to Staples, you buy you can buy hundred pound paper. It's very <laughs> thick paper. So that's the next thing you'd put into a game, usually using that for some of the player aids, sometimes even for boards, but not boards that are wrapped or anything like that, but just something that would fit into a box, lay flat, and you put, put that out to put, um, put counters on them to track the game timing and things like that. That's the next thing that you could do. Uh, after that, you move into cardboard, right, cardboard? Uh, and cardboard still is pretty cheap to put in, and putting a lot of it in is not that bad. Um, Andy parks with his last game. I picked it up, and said, "Canterbury." He's like, "Oh my God, Andy, what's in this thing?" And he opened it up. It's got ten sheets of cardboard, and even at that, um, I mean, it, it's a fairly expensive game. It's 60, $64.95 But uh, even with that, and the board and everything else in there, um, it's it, it wasn't that much to produce. So, so it's ten sheets. I mean, that's like you know, of two millimeter cardboard. So the whole thing is like this. Fits right into the box. Um, always, always going to be printed double-sided, colorfully. Now you're getting into stuff that really looks nice into a game, but it's something that can be done fairly cost-effectively.
0: Though uh, the more cardboard you put in, the heavier it's... your game is, and that will impact your shipping and... unit unit shipping costs. Yes. Well, y- and yes. I mean and freight costs too of cost oh, the
1: whole thing. But I, I tend to think that that's. Easier to absorb. I mean, because if you're going to be and and if you're going to be mailing your own games out and you're going to charge people shipping, they're going to they're going to care if it costs fifteen dollars to ship them one game versus if it costs only eight dollars to ship a game.
0: And honestly, I usually don't charge every the full amount. Yeah, It's uh, like you know, I'll I'll set a certain price for shipping, and if it's over, you just eat it. I eat it because I'm selling direct. So instead of making my you know thirty-seven percent, I'm making. All of it, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, after the cardboard, we get
1: into actual cards. The um, card, playing cards, cards that will use for various parts of the game. Um, this these vary wildly in quality. They vary in size as well, right? First thing to mention about cards is that uh, keep the number of cards in the game to certain magic numbers. What are those magic numbers? Um, if they are standard poker-sized cards, which are two and a half inches by three and a half inches, uh, the, the the magic number for that is 55 or 110. Why is that a magic number? What's a deck of play? What's a deck of poker cards? 52, two jokers, and that stupid card that has like you know go buy or something. So that 55 is actually a a, a half sheet of 110. That's the way a printer normally will run it. So that is a magic number. 55 or 110 is a magic number for the full-size cards. And then Fantasy Flight created the second standard, right, The uh, mini cards. And I don't know the exact number on them. I have them written down if you need to know. But those are 160 cards on a sheet. So multiples of that number or divisions of that number is good. You've got 80 of those. You're going to do two on those that full sheet. Those are good numbers. And then you can talk about the quality of the card itself. How thick is that card? How much, um, how much does, it, how does it feel in a player's hands? And that's measured in something called GSM, grams per square meter. 300 GSM is a standard high-quality card, which varies widely as we talked about that. Even right. printer by printer, they don't feel the same because the core of the card, what's in the center, is going to be different. So when you ask for cards for your games, you normally want to ask for black Core cards, 300 GSM, black core cards. Don't let them tell you they're black core cards when they're gray core or blue core, which are actually I heard doesn't even exist. That's a made up by the Chinese. I've heard no. blue core. Yeah, I've heard that
0: one. <laughs> um, always and always get samples. Um, you know, part part of um, of what you'll do when when you actually get the the job would out. You know, they're going to send you what's called a white construction without any printing on it, they're going to send you a complete set of materials as they will be in the game. Two size, cut, boxed, everything. But not printed on. Think and about that. You get this white
1: box in the mail with white, a white board and white cardboard and nothing, nothing punched. So it's all white. And you can look at it and see what the physical material is going to be before they have to do anything. It's a very important thing to do. Yeah. If you don't know your printer or you're not familiar when they say 300 GSM and what they mean by that, Get that white copy. It's called. I call it white copy. What did you
0: call it? Uh, uh, white construction. White construction. White copy. You know. Did they give you a um, uh, materials breakdown with that, or they just send you the, the white copy? Well, they they'll give you the materials breakdown when you when you quote the job. But that, that that quote will come with the specifics that they've quoted. They'll tell you everything they're going to use. They should tell you everything they're going to use. Yes, yeah. but um, quite honestly, you need to. Cross check and verify that with the actual thing. And yeah. y- I've gotten 300 GSM cards that were supposed to be a certain weight and core, and they were flimsy and th- th- they felt cheap. And I said, not the 300 GSM that I've ever seen. So, you know, I'm looking for a certain snap. You're looking for, like, you know, it, it feels like a, a durable playing card. And uh, so you just need to check all those things throughout the process. But, um, yeah. How do you verify
1: you, you, right. you said
0: 300 GSM Black Core, they give you a playing card, you go, I don't really like it, but they say, no, it is what it is. H- and hand, hand me a card right now, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. like, right. well you knew, I mean... Co- compare it to, to something that you you Com- feel is, is of, of good quality.
1: Compare it to, like, Dominion, right, if it's yeah. a card, right? Those are going to be 300 GSM cards, I almost guarantee I haven't felt a Dominion card in a long time, but I'm saying that's a really high, nice, high-quality card. If it feels like that, it's probably going to be right, right? It's something you view things is high quality,
0: and hit it, play with it And I had a printer who insisted that I had you know just the right stock, and I was like, listen. In the end, I really don't care. It's it's not what I'm looking for. I need it to have a better snap. It needs to be, and I sent him a sample. It needs to be more like this. And he's like, oh well, okay, that's going to be a 350 GSM, Ridiculous. whatever. Listen. <laughs> but, but get, get what you're, you're paying for. You had a question, too. What does black core mean? Lit- <laughs>
1: What's black? Literally
0: means that the center, if you rip the
1: card, it's actually very uh, disconcerting when you're with a printer and they start ripping cards in front of you, right? Yeah. You're like, oh my God, what are you doing with these cards? You rip the card, and you can see this, it's actually black in the center of the card. Okay, it
0: is little, it's physically black.
1: Literal term. Yeah. yeah.
0: And quite honestly, one of the reasons why they have. Different cores is the opacity. So if it's a white card, if you hold up to, to light, you know, okay. casino quality or, or bl- black core, they're they're a little bit stiffer and they're more opaque. Okay. So. The cheapest is ivory. Is that
1: correct? Cheap, ivory core. I've never heard that. I've only heard of the three, and I've heard that one of them is not even true. Black, gray, and blue. blue. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Blue black. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing about about cards in particular, um, and and this actually is for almost all of the printed materials, um, and certainly the cardboard, the finish. You can put different finishes on these things, right? And it doesn't cost more to make them different finishes. Really, it's, it's small differences depending on the finish. I I really like uh, linen finish. Does everybody know what linen finish is? It almost looks like the bo- like the box the cards are is te- are textured and there's like. Kind of like lines going in both directions if you take a really close look and it feels differently, versus a glossy. something that's flat that's either glossy or matte. Yeah. Some, some people like that. It's cool. But Fantasy Flight kind of started that thing with those with them not started, but they, they do it now in the games, and it looks really short. I think it looks really sure. It, it
0: has more of like a German game feel.: Yes. So. And, it's,
1: and it really, when it comes down to it, that's what most people are looking for really in their games. I mean that's sort of the standard in quality is what the Germans are doing, mostly printing in German. You can get that in China, but you've got to manage it. You've got to manage them very, very closely. Uh, uh, I was just going to say, uh, usually with the linen finish, what I've found is they, they'll charge more for a linen finish. It
0: is. It, it is, but, um, but... it's worth getting it. The, it can be. If, if, if it thematically works with you know the look of your game and it's, it's a, a finish that you, you like, the amount of money extra that it costs... You will get back and perceive value. So people will be—they'll look at your components and put them one tier higher, and might pay just a little bit more for it because he's like, oh the components are amazing." i, I, I don't think that the cost is—it's not much. Different enough. It's I think it's
1: pennies. yeah, it's pennies, and to me those are pennies worth worth spending. Yeah. Okay. Now that's not for every component necessarily, but cards. To me, that's one thing. Uh, and the box? Oh, and the cardboard. Actually, I would go, in the order of what I would spend on, on linen, cards, cardboard, and the box. I mean, cause it, it just looks and feels better, yeah. lo- those items. Do you have card uh, producers
0: on the North that
1: you found that you prefer? Okay, print. That's a that's a general printing question. And who do you print with? Now, um, this, there's I a couple change of answers. I all the time. Yeah. There's a couple of answers. Yeah. And, most of the time, I'm not sure if it's the same with you, most of the time um, we, I, go to a printer um, who I think is going to be good for the job. I, I go to several. I, like to, I get lots of competing quotes, and I can go yell at the person I really want to go with when they don't give me the quote I want. And they're going to do the entire game for me. In other words, I'm going to be paying them, and they're going to be giving me that game, shrink wrap thing, coming here to me, right? They may not produce all the components in that game. Especially when it comes down to plastics, which we haven't gotten to, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, they will, you know, sub-license, sub-subcontract uh, out parts of it if they're not, if their factories don't do that. And obviously, they have the connections to the factories that can do it. It's very um, difficult, especially for very small publishers, to say, okay, I'm going to go here and source the, the plastics. I'm going to go here and get the the card's done, I'm going to get. It's, it, it gets, that gets crazy. Just go to, one, go to people who you know uh, have uh, good reputations and will give you good prices and compare
0: prices and then choose somebody who's going to
1: deliver that finished game to you with the quality you, you need. You can
0: look at the back of uh, most boxes on the shelf and you will see the name of the printer that produced it. Um, that's one good way to source um, you know, who, who might be a good printer. You can see the work they've already done.
1: Um, just uh, to go back to Linen Finish for a minute, um, having um, been involved in conversations about Linen Finish on, on Kickstarter, actually, um, there seems to be some belief that the cards don't wear as well with the Linen Finish. I, I thought it was the opposite I disagree. Way. Yeah, yeah, I think they wear better. I, yeah, I, I thought it was the opposite way. And <laughs> I just didn't know. I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say it. But I, I I don't think that that's necessarily correct. I could be wrong. Yeah. We should probably continue, Danny. We have about nine minutes, I think, when I checked. Uh, it goes so fast, mm-hmm. doesn't it? So we're uh, the next in line is wood. Wood prices have tended to go up. The Germans are chopping down the black bars like crazy. But the um, you know that it is it is uh, getting more expensive to use wood, but it's still you know within reason and and. Again, when you're looking for German quality, when you're looking for that Euro quality game, there's always, almost always going to be some wood in the game. Um, here, trivia or, or mathematical thing, if you weren't here before. What's the, don't be a wise guy with the answer. What's the difference between an 8mm cube and a 10mm cube? Don't say 2mm. What's the difference? You know, I can't show it to you with my fingers from here. You know what the difference is in the amount of wood? Twice the amount of wood. It doesn't sound like it. But it's twice the one. So if you can get away with using an 8mm cube, but they're all kind of small. You've seen, you've played games with 8mm cubes, I guarantee it. If you can get away with it, you want to use it. Most people want the tactile feel of the larger 10mm cube, though. Um, cutting into any different shape than... And we didn't talk about dyes and things like that, but that's fine. Uh, cutting into any different shape other than what kind of is now the standard and what they have in, you know, there um, these things are done by um, um, not molds what do they call them, uh, they, they, they cut wood the, uh, the forms, uh, I forgot what they call the uh, I don't the know saws, <laughs> uh, the tools, <laughs> the tools the tools yes, yeah, cool. um, cutting into anything, anything other than what they kind of have and, and most um, uh, printers can show you like what their stock things are you know, you want a meeple, you want cubes not a problem if you want the Millennium Falcon, like I have in Space Sheep, or this big-ass sheep that I put in there, if you want that, you, you have to pay a cost. It's called a tooling cost. And that, they have to basically um, program the, the machines how they're going make to those, make those cuts. And that's going to add a significant cost, a fairly significant cost, onto the game. And it's like a one-time cost, not based on how many games you do. It's like $500 extra to make that tool. so it's going significant cost you have to
0: factor that in. Go it, with standards and in general um, tooling is something that you'll pay um, on potentially on your box it's the die cut for the for the box shape Number one. Um, for cards if you have rounded corners on your cards there's a special die for that. you know it's cheaper to make straight cut cards quite honestly. Uh, but if you're going to, you know, shuffle them and you know use them a lot, you don't want that because they'll get ruined. Um, you also pay it on uh, your uh, punch boards um, and for for any any wood. Uh, now, m- mind you, when you get your your quote, you're going to find all the tooling not figured into the unit cost, but tucked into the bottom of the quote. So they're not trying
1: sure, to hide it. No. It's just the way it is. I mean, they're going to say... It, they're probably going to say, oh, the paper cost you this, the uh, wood cost you this, the cards cost you this. And then we are going to say, here's your price per unit. And by the way, it's another $700 in tools.
0: Right. So and make sure that 700 or whatever you figure into the unit it cost because it makes a huge difference. Does
1: that also include um, existing dies? Well, um... For like standard cuts for wood, yeah, for boxes. Stan- oh, if you right, we talked about that before yeah. too. If you use a standard box that they already have the die for, they should not charge you for the tool. They're not making the tool. A if tool is ask made. you them, you have to ask them. Right? Don't yeah? Don't not assume. Ask ask the printer that you go to. Ask everybody you go to. Well, what? G- give me a list of all the boxes you have. They might say we have so many boxes, we can Maybe maybe they, they can't. You say okay, I want something like this. Which ones do you have in stock? Ask them that question, and if they have something that's very close, well, then you go with change your artwork and everything to fit that size. If it's a few millimeters off, it's going to be very easy to scale what you've already done if you've already done the artwork. Um, how many the, units do you get in a, a die? How many times can you um, yeah, use a die? Yeah. A lot, a lot. Okay. You don't have to worry. You, you will. Uh, you will run out of demand well before you. Okay. you yeah. uh, you ruin the die, because the die, yeah, actually, it, it actually it's actually a true question. Hasbro has to worry about that, because, you know, when they print the millionth copy of Monopoly Jr., how the they print in these days, they've got to re, re-punch dies. They've got to create new dies, and for them, that $5,000 die investment over a million copies is insignificant. Over the 5,000 or less units... 3,000.
0: Or or yeah. Right,
1: 3,000 units, 5,000 units that will print in something, 5,000 more dollars... If, we, if, if that was the die cost, it's probably not. But we're about to get to something where 5,000 is an easy number to hit for a fixed cost. And that's the last part of the equation, plastics. Rule of thumb, don't use plastic. Don't use plastic. Okay. Well, don't use custom plastics. That's a very important difference. Let me just finish the thought. If you, can, if you need plastics like um, what's called, they're called acrylic gems, if anybody know what that is. Um, not like the be- beads, maybe, but like they look like gems. Cadets has them. Space Cadets dice tool has them. Rather,
0: uh, Lost Temple have them. Do you use them in any of your games? Uh, a couple things, and, and or, or character stand ups, where you know you're going to put cardboard yeah. in them. All that stuff is standard, and every every printer has a source for their style of those things. Cheap, easy.
1: You Very can put those in. Yeah. Those don't. Those are even up up high on the you know on that list. It's not a problem. But once you get to a custom plastic, and that would mean custom dice, custom figures. You're in a range of expense that you do not want to go to. $5,000 for the mold is cheap. So
0: try not to do custom any plastic. And if that is against a 5,000 unit run, that's $1 to your unit cost, which then multiplies 10 times. So that's like a $10 retail bump you just took for that, that one die. That's pretty huge. it's a really good question. I don't, think we, I don't think we 100% know. 3D printing can't do the mass production,
1: at least Yet. In, in our, in, yes. our, in, in my vision. In, in my, I guess it could change. I mean, that'd be great. Get, get a 3D printer start making them. But when you're talking about, all right, it's basically, a dice tool. 38 custom units in each box and plus the other dice. Uh, and I did, I printed 12,005. That was a crazy. That's a, yeah. I printed that much. I didn't take delivery of all those games at first. No. I took like seventy five hundred, but I printed enough. What's twelve thousand five hundred times thirty eight? Anybody good on a calculator? That's how many dice I I had to make. That came in a container, a forty foot container. That's how many dice it was. So that, you know, I, I don't know that a three D printer in our, in our lifetime, or at least in island, maybe your lifetime, no, I was going to be able to do that. Where would dice? Like, Re- regular regular yeah. dice. In ex- relatively inexpensive. You don't. Have to, you don't. You need, you need. a bunch of dice. You should be okay with that in the, in the. Uh, you know, cheaper than wood range. But but once you start molding them, that's where. Yeah. Regular dice no don't.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't worry about them. i you you need like a hundred of them and start running into it. But any anytime you use that many quantities, anything you don't have a problem.
0: So when you say custom dice, are you talking about the shape itself or are you talking about the, image the, imprint. On the imprint? The imprint. On right. It? Right. Well, yeah. There so is. If instead of the the five pips you wanted a, an orc with a sword, yeah. you pay for that. Yeah. What, and there
1: really is, for, for dice, there's really only uh, six shapes, right? Four, six, eight, ten, twelve, twenty-sided dice. Uh, there are other ones, but all those are fine, but if you want to change, any other, change them from numbers to something, numbers to anything else, that's when you have a problem. Swords
0: or, well, she did the number of numbers that you have on there. Like if you're six-sided die, you want to have two ones, two twos. I've never
1: done that. That probably... Be expensive. Do, you,
0: do they charge you for that extra? It's, it's more expensive because they're running them separate for you. Yeah. Um, but, it though. but it exists, and they may be able to work those spaces. They don't necessarily have to form a new imprinter. Right. They're just changing up what they're imprinting. So you might be it's be it, it's not it's not as cheap as stock dice, right, but it's not as expensive as custom well, also
1: do your due diligence because you can find specific
0: like the dice you talked about, you can find most likely online through some manufacturer. Yeah. I was looking originally for Roman style dice with you know I, I I I going through it to six. It took me maybe two days to find a manufacturer who would do it massively, even though I couldn't afford it, but mm-hmm. I found someone that would had the die ready made that
1: I want yeah, yeah. right
0: but it does so. increase the
1: cost does laser um, laser engraving versus um, printing change the dice cost significantly but what is laser engraving to uh, you? the, the traditional um, like chess x are great where the numbers actually cut into it oh versus, versus like stamped uh, versus stamped oh much I see. that's yeah that's that's um much different like if you're just stamping something it's much cheaper um, and therefore you get down to something that's not going to be so expensive. They wear what, out quicker than that. But they wear out, do, and yeah. the perceived quality is much lower. So if you, if you just need a die like that in the game with different faces that are going to be stamped, like one die, because that's an effect of a game, not so bad. But if you're creating a dice game, you kind of want, I would think, you want imprints, you, know, you want uh, custom right, dice. But like, custom engraved de- de- dice. You want a die that, that just
0: has different colors on each face would 't getting it stamped be relatively probably cheap would not be that would not
1: be a bad a <laughs> bad or, way to go or yeah a sticker dice. or a
0: sticker well, yeah but I've, I've done that too I've sticker dice
1: thank you all for coming yeah appreciate it if you need to have any more questions later on um, I have to run now to the men's room but if you catch me anytime I'll be here till tomorrow sure. late I afternoon so and late tonight so please stop by find me open I, the, uh, I would like to mold upstairs. it. Upstairs. Like thanks I'd a lot like to
0: mold it. Um, but I've got it I have gotta check all the pricing for all the other components. It it wouldn't be my. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. call yeah, It's me. not like a nice so Why do you see if is more, expensive. more, expensive. Yes. 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 more expensive. expensive? Yes. Yes. Getting the big, really? more, the expensive. big stand-up. It is more expensive. That's that great. Sells big. Big. Why would I do it?
1: Yeah. Because the quality yeah. is always yeah. better. And the language, there's no language barrier to it. The customer service is much better. And then the, the time to delivery is better. If there's a problem, they'll fix it. There's so many there's so many customer service reasons. I think
0: shipping from Europe or Asia is a little cheaper. It's a little cheaper. It's not a significant difference. It's a little cheaper, say
1: $1,000. So it's just, it's simply a matter of they they control their quality better. And if there's any issue, they're going to fix that. China oh, okay. very hard to get them to fix things. Right? Yeah. when its problem?
0: Oh well, the price isn't yeah. like much more expensive, yeah. slightly expensive. Yeah. It's, I, I think there it's there a is a significant difference. It but oh,
1: sorry, it, sorry. but, but sometimes you, you just pay for so it because you, you want the, yeah. you want the quality, yeah. you don't want yeah. the headaches.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. what you well, said because everybody yeah. yeah. knows manufacturing yeah. in China, yeah. Asia. And it also Indonesia. depends. And
1: also depends like when I pr- print in Europe, at, in Ludofact in Germany, I can pre-sell my games directly to distributors over there, which is great. In other words, their distributors there that know me and they'll immediately take, okay, I'll take two hundred, I'll take three hundred, I'll take and they immediately take it instead of it instead of it coming here and then going back. So I get some of my money back even before they're out there to other people in the US. Right. Thank you very much.